Hi, I'm Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to The Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yes, colorful backgrounds. And this week, we'll be reading the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. But before we dive into that, we should like probably talk about who we are. So... Our names, again, I'm, I'm Marcy, and this is Akko. Hi, hi. And basically, um, we're two friends who we met about, what, like... Eight years ago? Oh, my God. I know. Oh, God. It's crazy to think about. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, so we went to school together, um, I guess now, yeah, eight right. years ago. But actually, we met first day of orientation. We had the same purple converse on. Yes, we did. And actually, Marcy, <laughs> what was the first thing you said to me when I asked you about yourself? Oh my god! What was the first thing I said <laughs> about reading? Oh shit! Oh yeah! So okay, so basically we okay, so me, Akko, and like other people were like at the dining hall. It was like day what two or three of like college orientation, right? And so we're like sitting down, and like no one's really saying anything. And you know, I'm very much someone that's like, let's break the silence. So I was just like, yeah, like you know. I don't know if y'all been doing this, but like I got into like reading recently, and like a bitch is really into it. And Akko was like this girl <laughs> i want to be friends with this bitch like, i was like i also like reading <laughs> and so like it's, i guess technically started as that like that was sort of like the first seed planted and then yeah it's from true. there we just became really fast friends so yeah so the two of us we were really good friends in undergrad and true. you know right now we actually live in in different cities right i live in new york and, and marcy lives in dc yes so yeah so you know we do a pretty good job of keeping in touch but we were always thinking of some ways that we can maybe like creatively keep in touch you know, we both love reading. We're both also just deeply weird and imaginative mm. people. And so, I don't know, I feel like one day we were just chatting and like books came up and it was like, yeah, the idea was just sort of planted and we just like kind of went from there. And also, I feel like in a lot of ways, like magical realism and fantasy kind of captures our essence. Like, I feel like when we, y- y'all will see this shortly, but like as we like tell jokes, our sense of humor is just very like. Yeah, we we delve into the creative we might live there. We might not even delve. Like, we just... Do I live on Earth? Like, it's <laughs> honestly unclear. So, so yeah. But jokes aside, we're two really good friends. And essentially, the point of the podcast in a lot of ways is that we wanted to use it as a way to, you know, obviously, like, have someone to talk to about these mm-hmm. different books that, you know, we dive into every but now and again. just to shift the conversation around literature as well, we wanted to make it accessible. You know, books is, are fun. And I think... A lot of us think of reading as when we were in high school and quickly trying to spark notes. Oh, my God. A heart of darkness. Because <laughs> we're not reading it. I'm not reading Heart of Darkness, Professor. I'm sorry. Um, also, like, eternally fuck Heart of Darkness. Like, my God. Like, literally, the, so like, everyone's like, oh, my God, this is such a classic. And I'm like, this book is hard as shit to read. It like, what hard. the fuck is happening? It was poetic, but Jesus, so is poetry and haikus. Right. Much shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we also just think imagination is one of the greatest catharsis in life especially oh come on that's such a word though two of us live in a pretty political time so it's kind of really nice to imagine a world that's different it gives us i'd say a little bit of hope Mm -hmm. yeah and i think and honestly at the base of it you know the two of us we we tend to be you know interested in you know these themes around liberation um equity and stuff like that and so Mm -hmm. yeah and i've always been someone that's like i mean imagination is like central to that shit right like it's like even if you're trying to manifest a world that you may not have necessarily grown up in lived in before even seen (laughs) models of like you kind of have to be able to imagine what that looks like samuel delaney the great sci-fi writer from the 20th century he points that out specifically he says you know you have to be able to imagine the world if you want to make it differently so 
you're basically an award-winning science oh fiction Thanks. <laughs> I just want to thank the Academy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, and yeah, for me, you know, whether it be books or video games or, you know, whatever, anime, mm. like, I feel like just these different models of creativity have like just been so integral to my yeah. work um, and sort of like my ideology as I've gotten older. And so I, agree. I was like, wait, hold up. So I can keep in touch with Akko. We could be creative than a motherfucker. We mm. can talk about books we love and we can like on the low make it about liberation. Like, sign me up. <laughs> so welcome to the Color Pages Book Club. Was there anything else that you want to add in terms of like, you know, who we are, mission and stuff like that? Or No, um, I think we also just wanted to talk to you guys. We wanted to include other people who maybe want want to talk about books in the same fashion so that's why we're not just talking to each other on the phone <laughs> right we could also do <laughs> exactly um, and engage with you all and yeah and hopefully like as this podcast evolves and you and know grows. Kind of grows and all of that you know it will kind of be a way for all of us to become more creative for right. all of us to engage in this conversation so yeah so just you know we just we, yeah, we, stay we start tuned. something we go see what happens but but yeah it should be good but um, but really quickly, so basically in terms of what the structure of this is going to look like, just so everyone's like, you know, on the same page and they're not like, okay, so what the fuck is going on? So basically, Akko and I have individually made our own list of books that we actually want to read. And so I think each of our lists have about, at the moment, around like 20 to 25 books. Every month, we'll essentially choose a book from each of our lists and we'll, t- we'll alternate. And so, so right now, actually, so the fifth season is actually the first book on Akko's list. And so... With each book, there's going to be two episodes at the bi-weekly mark. And so the first episode of each book, we'll basically talk about the book up until the halfway point. And so we'll give like a plot summary. We'll talk about, um, you know, kind of predictions that we have, talk about resonant moments, things that we like, stuff like that. And so that first part of the discussion will... in 99.9% of the time <laughs> have spoilers. But we'll also do a second part of that discussion where essentially we'll pick out like a trend in the book or like a quote, something that like is like particularly resonant for us. And we'll kind of use that as a way to talk about bigger social themes. And then the second episode for each book will be essentially that same premise, but we'll talk about the book as a whole. So rather than just talking about it up to the halfway point, we'll talk about it in its completion. Is there anything that we should add? No, I think we can jump just right into um, the work and the plot summary. Oh, yes, God. Okay, so yeah, so reminder this week, fifth season, N.K. Jemison, boom. Right, so the reason I chose this book was because N.K. Jemison is a black female science fiction writer and psychologist, so get it how you live it, live your Come life. Come on, yes. Um, <laughs> she has won multiple awards, including a Hugo and Nebula Award. In fact, she was the first African-American to win the Nebula Award in this category, which is Best Novel. She's known for The Fifth Element, which, of course, we're reading today, as well as the Inheritance Trilogy and her short stories. And I chose her because I personally love fantasy and fiction, so I'm excited to see her take on it. And it was a take. It was, this is a whole oh, book. My God. We, we were in our feelings. And there were so many times when I texted Marcy or called him and was like, Marcy, we need to talk about this. <laughs> and of course, Marcy was like, save it for the podcast like dead ass so, like i'm literally bursting at the seams to talk about this shit so young like if we're like mad hype that's mm, like exactly like, how i've been felt. trying to talk about this shit for like <laughs> days girl okay so i guess we can we can honestly just kind of tag team this so basically in order to explain really what is going on in the fifth season we kind of have to like lay the foundation of like the what the world yes it's is. a lot of world building because it is a fantasy novel yeah 
So essentially, in terms of context, all of the events in this book happen on this continent that's known as the stillness, right. um, which is actually very ironic because the stillness is a place that is like extremely prone to like earthquakes, like the seismic movement is like ridiculous. So like very often there's like very small earthquakes to like really, really large ones. Right. Um, and because of this. Every now and again, I would say maybe about every century or so. It's not specifically timestamp, but basically mm. there will usually be some kind of earthquake or volcanic eruption or something, some cataclysmic event, event yeah. that is so big that it like kind of throws the world into this like apocalyptic State. season, which is mm. like, which is why it's called the fifth season. Cause it's like essentially that's referred to as like this like catastrophic time that happens. Right. Cyclically. And so then they have this these texts called stone lore, which they become more complicated as to what they are and their truth and their how much they're used as a political tool later in the story. But for now, it's sort of how people deal with the seasons or their, I guess, survivor's guide to the exactly. apocalypse. Right. Um, and it's interesting, too, because even in, in the world, it's inhabited by people i think safe to say, I would like, say they're humanoids like, yeah, they're like human right. or humanoid people right and there's like artifacts of previous seasons like everywhere so for right. example like you'll see like there's like ruins in the mm. sky there are these obelisks that are um, just that floating just, that just are there and like motherfuckers are like oh yeah girl the obelisk and i'm like uh, what like no one just, knows how they got there like, no one really gives a fuck they're just like oh it's just kind of there so there's like these remnants of previous societies. Uh, civilizations of previous societies in a lot of ways it's it's sort of commonly assumed that because those societies didn't make it, quote unquote, mm. into this current one that like they did something wrong or they were weak or, you know, there was like some reason as to why it was justified that they no longer exist. And that'll, that'll be a theme that come up later, that comes up later. Yeah, right. And so most people live in these communities or communes because, of course, if the apocalypse is a reoccurring event, people try to gather together. Right, they just got to like stick together. Like. Right. Try not to die. <laughs> right. And so because of that, and, and these communes are, there's castes, but they're based on your use. So there's strong back who to they usually they were building walls or guarding things yeah. it was unclear <laughs> uh, we should also note that this book is kind of a slow burn so things are revealed over the course of the book and what was really interesting is they drop a name out and then you'd be like a strong back was a strong back and they're like oh, we'll tell you page 50 and like, <laughs> oh, i guess i'll have to just trust you right um but there's, there's strong backs there's leadership and then there's innovators but there's mm -hmm. also orogene yeah. Okay. So Orogenes is like kind of the, so this is like the most central type of a person. So basically in Orogene, it's unclear if they're a use cast or right. not. But it's more like a phenomenon? Yeah. So mm. they're basically these people who, so, so again, so the world is very much like there's a lot of seismic movement on this continent. Right. And so Orogenes are essentially people that are like deeply sort of viscerally connected to the earth underneath them. Like they can quite literally feel the movement of plates and stuff like that. And so they're really connected to the earth and thus they can sense a lot of the activity. And so they can actually usually predict when an earthquake is coming. Right. But also they have powers where they can essentially harness the energy around them and like use it to either quell an earthquake so like sort of stop it or they can use it to cause their own seismic activity right but the thing is since they're using energy around them it usually kind of like it literally kind of sucks the life out of shit around them and so for example you'll notice that like when origins are trying to do some sort of like seismic movement or fix something around them or quell an earthquake the temperature around them will drop things will kind of get frozen around them right. and sometimes that includes like people, people. like <laughs> things like they like can really like freeze an entire community depending on how much energy they're exerting 
I, I would say maybe because of this power and this fear, they're often hated by society, mm-hmm. but they're also very valuable to society because, as they said, there's a lot of earthquakes, but they have the ability to control and quail them. Mm-hmm. So because of that, most of them are either killed if they're found out in regular society. Oh, I guess we should point out that an origin can be born to anyone. So yeah. you can have perfectly regular what do they call still parents yeah so yeah. stills are referred to as like just like quote normal people right so you can be an origin born to still parents you can be an origin born to origin parents you can be a still child born to origin parents neither of us, of us read harry potter but i oh, imagine there are similar <laughs> <laughs> metaphors to muggles and wizards um so just if wasn't you, hermione a muggle yeah and i think but she was no she was a wizard born to muggle parents mm. so let's think about that all you millennials yeah <laughs> and and also of note um, before we like talk about what the fuck actually happened so in this continent the capital city is called yemenis and in yemenis there's actually a essentially kind of a school for origins right because origins I, one of the reasons that they're feared so much is that you know they're deeply powerful and in a lot of ways it can be hard to control that power and so like right. a lot of origins will either if they you know are just living normally will kind of learn how to like control themselves and in a lot of ways it's very exhausting it's like like because their natural inclination is to interact with the earth and so in yaminis there's actually this place called the fulcrum which is basically a school where origins will either be born into or like if they're not like if they're if an origin is in a community and they're managed to not you know be killed right they'll be sent there because there are these people called guardians that basically are ones who go out and find origins to put them in the school and in the school they learn how to use their powers and to be quote-unquote of use to society right um and the thinking isn't that like oh we're trying to make you a better person is that you are a danger you by nature are dangerous and we have to like learn to like control you and use you otherwise you'll like destroy literally everything around you i think there's a great line that comes up where a guardian says to a new origin the fulcrum is an order of origins and the guardian is an order to control the fulcrum so it's not a positive relationship it's definitely very tenuous very tense controlling which you will see when we get into some of the characters yeah so oh my god let's just jump right in because oh child there is so much to discuss okay the way this is set up is that essentially up to this point, at least, there's three main characters. And each chapter essentially kind of tells their individual stories. These yes. characters don't know each other. They have not interacted or intersected at any point up until this point. So what we'll do is we'll basically break down sort of what's going on in each of the characters' stories. Um, and then we'll kind of give our thoughts. We'll talk about trends that we noticed in the book. And then we'll kind of go into that later section that I mentioned earlier about giving a quote and kind of using that to have a bigger conversation. Let's start with the first character in the book, Eason. Or Essen. We'll get into this these names yes. later when we discuss. Oh, these fucking names. <laughs> um, but basically, Eason is an origin who lives in secrecy in the city of Terimo. I'm going to say it's Terimo. Yes. Um, she's not from there, but we don't know where she's from. We don't know anything about her, really, except that her son, Uche is dead. And yes. she suspects, unfortunately, that her husband, Jija, killed him and it's possible that she, he killed him because he found out that he had powers or regime powers because as we said little children have the power but they're not able to control it so sometimes they use it and that's usually how they get caught by someone in their town or the village now her husband has left or fled with her daughter whose name is Nason. we don't know she's probably an origin but we, we're not sure if that's true so maybe she's an origin and Isan taught her how to control her powers before her husband found out but we're not really sure about anything yet Mm. Um, 
So also, Ethan stopped an earthquake. At the beginning of the book, an earthquake disrupts the stillness again, which causes what we would say is the fifth season, yeah. which is roll credits, mm-hmm. the name of the book. Um, <laughs> but as she stops that from hitting her calm, the Tiramo, but it doesn't really matter because she ends up, well, she <laughs> she ends up destroying her own village. So she sees, so she gets back home. She sees that her son is no longer alive and she decides she's going to go find her husband and her child and her friend, Rosk, who actually once had a sister who was in origin and was killed by his own town, tries to help her escape the city. But because the city is becoming more and more hostile to her, they're starting to suspect that perhaps there's something about her. They become more angry as she tries to leave the city. And this part was so intense. I remember reading it and feeling the tension build. So she's walking. So Rosk finally talks to the stone what are they, the stone boys? The stone hedge? Yeah. No, the stone bags. The, the strong, strong bags. bags. Oh, my God. <laughs> strong bags. So, um... Rosk, who's actually pretty influential <laughs> in the town, talks to the strongbacks and they, they tentatively allow her to leave. But one of the strongbacks, while as she's walking away, kind of gets feisty and tries to shoot at her, tries to kill her behind with her like back an arrow. with, with an, an arrow. Yeah. Right. And Eason, who's like, My child is dead. I am traumatized. I do not have time for this, literally pulls the energy out of everybody in the surrounding area. No, all casual, like, no room for women and children like casualties abound mm. <laughs> pulls the energy out of everybody in the air and starts this earthquake that destroys the city that she just saved herself and then walks away and then leaves and she's she's uh, unpressed unbothered keeps mo- <laughs> keeps it moving right <laughs> so that was actually wild as fuck because basically so in the thing so at first it wasn't even that like Ethan was like oh my god girl I care about Tarimo so much like I have to save these motherfuckers it really was she was like um, my baby lives here and thus I will not have this earthquake fuck this shit up like what and the what and the gag was she say she literally saved these people from an earthquake and then they were like oh girl, I think she's yeah. an oral gene and I'm like you motherfuckers would be dead if it wasn't for, for her. her like how are y'all mad right now right um, yeah but it was just really interesting because yeah like during that scene she literally froze everything and everyone mm. around her and also just just really quickly to bring up the way that Easton is narrated is really interesting because she's implied to be you like they like um yes. NK uses like like the second person a lot so she'll be like oh like you know you blah 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 you did this and mm. so like Easton is like you acknowledge as like external character but it's also supposed to be you at the same right. time so it's kind of written from that from that point of view right which is a really good point i think that we should definitely talk about in the um section because it, it does something very interesting to us as the reader yeah but to continue on easton's little story she's not done yet after she leaves her com she's basically in the post-apocalypse the outside of the comms are very i i would say unsafe un- mm. uncivilized everyone's kind of fend for yourself like like Hunger Games, except outside of the walls, I guess. Um, mm. And she runs into this boy. I would say he's a stone eater, which is not a concept that any of us understand yet. Look, we only read half the book. We don't know. Maybe they'll tell us later. Right. They, they might literally tell us in the first couple words. <laughs> of of section two. But right. he's this odd little boy who has powers and icy eyes um there's different regions and different racial groups in the book but he seems to be a little bit different from even other people who Mm -hmm. would have you know icier eyes and and fairer hair so he ends up being named hoa and they kind of go on these little adventures together adventures is maybe a strong word (laughs) they're like not choosing (laughs) to go on adventures together it's like it's like they're basically trying to because yeah right now there's not really a lot of order so she's kind of like 
in between comps. And so basically, Eason, her her bottom line right now, she's like, "Yo, I'm trying to find my fucking husband. I'm trying to get my like get my daughter back." And so Hoa is interesting because like he's assumed to be around age ten. Like so he's like young, but he's right. not like a like a super small child. But he's also very precocious. He like knows a lot. He's very cheerful. He doesn't really seem bothered by a lot right. of things. But he knows a, he knows that she has a daughter. Right. Like he brought up that she had a daughter before she, mentioned she even it. mentioned it. And right. he also implied that he knows where Jija, her husband, is. is. Yeah. And so basically Isan was like, okay, I don't really want to travel with this bitch, but on the low, like I'm trying to find my husband. Right. So like this motherfucker seems useful. So let me just like do this shit real quick. And so basically like she's kind of like going along with him up until this point. Right. For, At, for that main reason. Exactly. Right. It's definitely a mo- an object motivated relationship they don't really care about each other well maybe hoa cares about her but from what we understand Ethan is not that you quote-unquote are not that pressed right. about the relationship <laughs> but so to finish off their section for the beginning half that we've read there's a point where Ethan and hoa need to find water after they've run away from camp so they go to this area where there's water and they find this commonless woman who's actually pretty dope at first Issa is very aggressive towards her and the commonless woman is like honestly you don't need to do all that here's the water real, real quick just to explain commonless means that you don't belong to a community right that's a good um, point so yeah so basically like so like the way that Ethan belonged to Tiramo this woman just like didn't really live anywhere, anywhere even before the, the earthquake started right because the way comms are set up you basically have to you kind not be initiated but it's like you kind of have have to be earn it it's, you have to earn it you like can get thrown out you, yeah you can't just live seemed, there like you have right. to like kind of be vetted and then people let you into their community yeah and so you often notice even when people's names like their last names would be both their use so whether they're like a strong back and innovator or whatever right and then also their the community that they live they're from they live but yes yeah, sorry just want to put in that little no bit i think that's very important <laughs> for anyone who hasn't read this book yet it's yeah but um and so they're talking to this commonless woman who actually ends up being very cool and helps them out and then moves on with her life but as they're about to leave this monster this this uh, dog a, a beast of some sort yeah. um named the Kirkusa comes out and usually actually people keep them as pets which i personally don't understand why you would they're like but if this animal ever tastes human what was it human flesh or just meat in general it was like so so basically the kirk who said they look they're basically otters but they live on land that's kind of what they're described to look like so they're like these long like rat like creatures and then also apparently when they taste ash that's when they they have this insatiable hunger for human flesh and so which i don't know why you would keep that animal on clear because i'm like if you have a fire in that anyway so basically so there's a lot of ash right now in the world because right. there's like i think some eruption a huge or something. earthquake so, the earthquakes are also they like lava comes out of the yeah, ground it's com- not just yeah you know yeah it, it should be going down in the stillness but basically right. uh so, so the kirkusa yeah it was outside and, mm. um, and then so it's about to attack them because now it's tasted ash and it wants human flesh and then hoa <laughs> magical boy Hoa comes up and just crystallizes him real quick and that's that's it we're just done with that section so that's the cliff note on Eason's chapter right and it was wild too because the way that happened was like basically Hoa so the calmless woman Eason and Hoa were inside the place getting water or whatever and they, they saw the Kirkusa outside but the right. Kirkusa hadn't seen them so basically Hoa walks outside the Kirkusa literally inv- like jumps on his arm and like bites it and right. then basically blood's like spurting everywhere and everyone's like oh my god i can't watch this like girl so this is terrible violent. and then literally that shit just like turned into crystals and like Hoa was like looked weirdly ashamed and was kind of like oh like i didn't like loki didn't want y'all to know that i could do mm. that but like <laughs> here i am um crystallizing animals right so that's basically what happened in in Eason's chapter 
So now we're going to talk about the second character of the three, um, this girl named Demaya. So Demaya is this girl that lives, originally lives in this small town called Palela, and she's assumed to be around maybe, like, if I had to guess, maybe age 12, like early adolescence. Yeah. And so basically, so when you first are introduced to her, she's actually hiding in this barn from her mom and this man whose name is Shafa. You don't know that yet. Is she hiding or did they make her live in the barn? I think they made her live in the bar, yeah. but basically at this point, oh, her mom hiding. and the and Shafa are looking for her, mm. um, but she's like hiding from them. So Shafa is actually what one would refer to as a guardian. And so like right. we had mentioned earlier with the fulcrum, that school where origins go and, you know, become like, quote unquote, useful to society. Shafa is one of the people who basically goes out and not really recruits, but he'll bring origins to that school. Right. So her mom and Shafa are looking for her. Shafa initially seems like a relatively trustworthy guy. And so, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> girl, <laughs> but then basically, so basically she reveals where she's hiding. Shafa sees her and is like, and explains, you know, I'm going to take you to the fulcrum, blah, 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 blah. And so basically, you don't really know why any of this is happening, but then they kind of go into this flashback where basically they're like, so Demaya was at school and some like bitch ass boy named Zab was like, right, tried her life, was coming for her. And so basically he had like, they were on the playground or something and he like pushed her. And so she got like really, she got really agitated. And so the thing is, so Demaya is origin, like Eason. And when origins get really agitated, when their emotions flare, sometimes it's easy for their powers to like slope out. So basically Mm -hmm. she had like, Something had happened, and basically she had frozen the ground around her. And so, like, motherfuckers looked at that, and they were like, oh, shit. Like, right. <laughs> she's well, origin, like, Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, basically, so that's happened. So, that essentially was why she was living. Her parents were like, you need to live in this barn and, like, be away from society. And then, basically, like, Shafa was like, oh, girl, like, I'm going to bring you to the fulcrum. And she was like, oh, he seems trustworthy. Like, right. whatever. And so, they leave on horseback. And so, basically, they're going on this journey from Palela to Yemeni's, where the fulcrum is located, that school that we mentioned earlier. And basically, along the way, Shafa slowly reveals that he, like, kind of sucks. Like, he's, like, he's, like, really... As a guardian, he's not one that looks highly onto Origins. He's not like, oh, yeah, like... I love origins and we're just trying to make you better. He very much sees them as like these monstrous people that like right. he needs to like coerce into the school. Otherwise they will like literally destroy society. Well, and it, it's interesting because he start it, he really does seem friendly. And when Demaya's in the barn and the mother comes in to have Shafa meet her, Shafa's kind of disgusted that the mom hasn't given her anywhere to use the bathroom or doesn't have any clothes for her. So at first you're like, okay, this is good. Like, this is a positive influence. But then he tells this story. Yeah. So basically, while they're on horseback, um, you know, they stayed in a few different inns, they're moving along, whatever, whatever. He tells her this story about this woman named Shemshina. And it also concerns this origin named Misalim. So Misalim is an origin who was alive like way back in the day. I don't know what the timestamp for this was, but it was during one of the previous seasons. And so Misalim was an origin who wasn't trained, um, who wasn't, who didn't go to the fulcrum, who just existed. And basically, he just had this like rage against society. And so right. he would often use his powers to destroy like whole villages, whole communities. Like he would like or lose so suck they the say. energy. That's what they say. say. Yeah, is that he would basically come around, go around, basically and just fuck shit up, like freeze everything around him, like literally destroy everything. So at one point, he goes to the capital city to essentially, and he tells them that, you know, he demands that the capital city brings out the emperor so he can kill him. Shimshina is the emperor's... Proto-guardian, I guess. Yeah, basically basically the emperor's bodyguard. 
it's basically Shimshina hears that Misa Lim is coming to the capital city to to take the emperor. And so she's like, so the thing is, at this time, they didn't really know how origins worked. All they knew right. was that they could like quell earthquakes and do all of that. And so Shimshina does hell of research. And she finds out that the way that their powers work is that they need to use energy that's around them. So what she did was had everyone in the town evacuate. She cut down all the trees. She basically made it so that there was nothing living in the city. And so essentially when Misa Lim shows up and rolls up and tries to like kill the emperor, he doesn't really have anything to draw from to use his powers. It's basically she does that. He rolls up and basically he tries to use his powers against the emperor. It doesn't work because there's nothing that there's no energy that he can get from around him. And then Shimshina kills him. Right. And so Demaya is listening to the story and she's like, oh my God, like I'm Shimshina. Yeah. Liddy, like, let me, oh my God. Like she's like hella hype. And then basically the more Shafa tells the story, he makes it really clear that like, he sees her the way he saw Misalim. He mm-hmm. sees her as like this like monstrous, destructive. destructive person. And also, so it's interesting as well because Origins, and this is something we'll talk about in a little bit, but basically there's this slur that people use to call them and they call them ragas. And so basically she has this realization where she was like, oh shit, in this story, like I'm not Shemshina, I'm actually Misalim. I'm like this raga, horrible type of person. And so she has this realization, she's really upset. And basically... This is where it gets really wild. Basically, after the story, you know, Shafa was saying, but, you know, that's okay, that's okay because, you know, we're going to take you to the fulcrum and we're going to learn how to, like, control your powers and we're going to, like, use you for good and, like, you know, I'll, like, use you as, like, my vessel to do good things. And then Demaya's, like, young, like, I'm not someone that needs to be controlled like i'm not bad like me right. i'm not I gonna control do this kind myself. of thing to people like yeah. i can control myself like what the fuck and basically he was like oh oh you can control yourself you you have control over yourself and she's like yeah girl and so he stops so they're on horseback mind you he stops the horse he's he's sitting behind her and so he grabs her hand squeezes it so hard that he breaks, he breaks it her hand. and basically tells her like if you have so much control you need to like control yourself and don't like and the thing is i guess like when origins go through a lot of pain like they want to rely they want to you know listen to the earth use the earth's energy to make to soothe it but he was like oh like you can kill me if you want to right now but like you're in the middle of nowhere and girl like i wouldn't really suggest that and like you'll end up just like me and blah 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 so he literally breaks her hand and she has to just like take it endure right endure the pain and just like deal with it that and was then, the moment I was like, Shafa, take her back to the barn. Right. I'm like, I don't the, like you. The barn was better. God yeah. damn. And basically she was just like, and then afterwards they go, like, go to camp and he's like, oh, but like, you know, I love you, right? Like, you that know, I love line. you so much. And I was like, this is weird. And then also like, at one point he asked her like, are you afraid of me? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, good. You should be. Yeah. And it was kind of like, yikes. And so that's kind of where her chapter ends. And then the next section She's actually in the fulcrum. Right. Um, and so basically, you know, it's kind of like military school. It's hella strict. Like, uh, there's inspections. They, you know, everyone has class exams, all of that. And the thing is, like, in the fulcrum, it's not like if you underperform, it's fine. People who are, like, really, really shitty at origin or, or at least don't have the skill set or the capacity or the control that, like, they're expected to. They're actually frozen. So, like, the people who, like, maintain the school will, like, low-key kill them. They call it ice. Icing. Yeah. Yeah. So Demaya's in school, and so she's actually doing, like, really, really well. Like, you know, she's, like, doing well in her classes. Like, people... She's kind of a loner. People don't really love her, but, like, you know, she's, like, fine, chilling, whatever. One day she's at lunch, and she's eating by herself, and there's this boy that comes up to her, and his name is um, Maxis. He's really charming and, like, whatever, whatever. She kind of thinks he's annoying, but, like, you know, he's still... He's nice, whatever. And so basically, after she talks to him at lunch, and they didn't really talk about anything in particular, all these, like, weird things start happening to her. For example, like, the next day, when she's in the showers, like, someone bumps into her. After her shower, someone, like, steals her shoes, um, which means that she failed her inspection and got, like, punished 
punished for it. And then also when she was at dinner that night, um, someone actually like, I guess, slipped some alcohol into her drink. And so right. she accidentally got drunk, which is something that like as origins, they tell you you're not supposed to drink ever because like that makes you unstable. And like, you know, that would actually fuck your shit up. And the thing is, if you're a student at the fulcrum and you're caught drinking, like, they're kind of, it's sort of implied that it's, like, hella serious. Like, they might, like... Ice you right there. Ice you right then and there. And so, Demaya's like, yo, I can't keep doing this because, like, these motherfuckers are about to get me killed. So, she decides that she wants to get revenge on these people. She doesn't really know who's causing all of these things to happen or, like, who's, like, you know, spearheading it. But all she knows is that she talked to Maxis and the next day all this weird stuff started happening. So, she was like, clearly he has some kind of role in this. And so, basically, she decides to get, get revenge. And so, she talks to this girl named Crack who is, like... Her name's like Silu, but people call her crack. And she's kind of like this underperformer, like not really doing particularly well. Well, she's having a hard time. Her powers, it's, and I think this should be noted, like it's never that they're doing well or not well. It's a matter of how well they're controlling their powers, how useful they are to the state. So crack, I think is particularly dangerous because she seems to have an intense power ability that's unstable is the way they describe it. Right. So she decides like she's going to team up with crack and figure out like what's going on. So basically they did this whole like Naruto ass plan. It was. We're basically, so one day, so, so Demaya goes to the showers and she, so before she goes to the shower, she hides, she hides her own shoes into Maxis's trunk. So each yes. student has like a trunk in front the of their bed. Their bed yeah. Right. And so she hides her shoes in his trunk. While Maxis is in the shower, she causes commotion in the room, their like common room where they all sleep. And she's basically like, oh, someone stole my shoes. Where the fuck are my shoes? Blah, blah, blah. And she ends up going up to this boy named Jasper and like, you know, it's like, where are my shoes? And he was like, girl, what the fuck? And so they get into it. Carnelian, who's like the senior origin, walks into the room and is like, yo, what's going on? Demaya says, like, you know, I lost my shoes. I don't know what's going on. I think Jasper stole them. I'm not really sure. And he's like, you know what? Let's just check everything. Let's see what's up. So he checks everyone's trunks. And Maxis at this point is back into the room. So obviously he opens his trunk and her shoes are there. And so Demaya's plan was she wanted to see who Maxis would look at when he discovered the shoes in his trunk to basically right. indicate, okay, what the fuck? Like, how did this happen? So Maxis looks at Jasper. And so basically Carnelian is like, do you have any words for yourself? Like, why the fuck did you steal her shoes? And he he didn't really have anything to say, but he what he did say was like, oh, well, you know, Jasper stole her shoes last time. Then this is where shit went hella left. It basically, got wild. Yeah. So basically, he's like, oh, well, Jasper stole her shoes last time. And then Jasper's like, oh, well, Crack was the one who actually sold the shoes for liquor. And then, like, Demaya's like, wait, Crack? You mean the same Crack that I'm, like, using? Up to, with? That I'm, like, teaming up with right now? Like, what the fuck? So she's like, why the fuck would Crack sell my shoes for liquor? And then Crack was like, oh, well, Jasper, like, basically... So basically, she implied... Not really implied. She, she said... said she, like, made fun of him for this. She basically was like, oh, well, like, to Jasper, she was like, oh, well, you're the one who, like, you know, got felt up by that old man, and, like, you know, he, you let him do all this stuff to you in order, you know, in exchange for, like, liquor and to, like, write a letter and blah, blah, blah. And so Jasper starts, like, he, bawling. But, yeah, Jasper wanted to... He got... is really quite sad because they're children, so he gets felt up so he can get some liquor to give to someone who will smuggle a letter to his mother for him. Right. Because he just never was able to write her otherwise. Right. And so that's why he and, wanted the liquor, and, like, that's why he was assaulted by this older right. person and crack like was like just making fun of him was like well like you enjoyed it and blah 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 and even in the scene demaya was like this it's... took a turn that a bitch was not ready <laughs> like it was just like wild and so basically after that carnelian is like okay i've heard enough this is a, this is a lot and so he orders maxi's crack and jasper to leave the room 
And so Maxis eventually comes back a couple days later and his hands are broken. Right. And he never talks to Demaya again. Jasper allegedly transfers to a satellite fulcrum somewhere else. But basically, she Demaya's like, he got exiled. And then no one ever saw or heard from Crack again. No one right. ever mentioned it. No one, like, no one ever talked about it so it's, a, it's implied that she was iced right. as a result of this because she was already not doing particularly well and that's just that's the end of demaya's that's section demaya that's, girl that's oh my god right. okay so we have one more and then we will jump right in because child it's a lot it's, it's a true lot. so then the last person that is introduced into the story is cyanite Cyanite? I'm going to say Cyanite. Cyanite, yeah. Also, her short name is Cyan. It's her nickname. So Cyanite is an origin who works in the fulcrum. So after you go to the military school, then you work at the fulcrum. And what's interesting about it is Cyanite's character kind of explains or introduces us to the hierarchy in the fulcrum, which seems to be based on this ring system. So Cyanite is a fourth ring, and it seems like it goes through 10 rings. Yeah, so you basically you get rings as you demonstrate various abilities. And so, yeah, so she's a fourth fourth she calls herself a fourth ringer which is pretty good right i mean like, out of 10 that's you're yeah, almost like, a half i would say once you get to four rings like you're like low-key a bad bitch right they do make it seem like she is on her way to being someone of significance mm-hmm. if she toes the line which is also a very interesting point that comes up in the story so she's a fourth ring and you kind of learn that basically origin go around doing missions for money throughout the stillness basically mm-hmm. and they're actually quite expensive to hire so here they they have a, assigned cyanite two tasks one of them is to go yeah. to this place called Aaliyah and look at a harbor that is having issues with coral that's overgrown and making it difficult for boats to dock there and the other mission is to have a child with a 10th ringer named alabaster which doesn't seem as innocent as clearing a coral reef um and the thing okay it's not like they were like okay you need to clear this reef and you also need to fuck alabaster but basically it was kind of like wasn't that highly implied was it implied i think they kind of just i don't think they told her explicitly you need to have sex with this person well i mean because she's talking to her mentor or someone who's older than her and her mentor just casually mentions that she has six children and to get up in the ranks maybe it would be opportune if she had children and look alabaster is a 10th ringer oh and he's in that room right over there and you have a mission with him that's crazy oh my god this is wild oh my god it takes a month to get to Aaliyah. Crazy. wow that's a lot of time and you're like right. oh so it's it's yes maybe you're i think you're correct it's not stated but heavily implied so she meets alabaster and she doesn't particularly like him she thinks he's quite uninteresting and boring and he's quite tired and cynical with the world yeah He's, like, very cynical. And he's also, and this is something that really bothers Sinai, he also uses the word raga, like, very loosely. Like, because the thing is, like... Almost like he's... Like a still. Yeah. Stills use the word raga like is like the word water. But like they I, don't give a fuck. I don't think he actually uses it like a still. Well, we can jump into this later, but I think he kind of uses it the way we as African Americans use the N-word. It lacks the potency, but she is uh, annoyed by it. Yeah. Because like it's a word that like, you know, she it's was offensive. like, why the fuck would you say this? Anyway. Right. So as they're traveling, it's really interesting because Alabaster is doing this thing where he suddenly like stops and thinks and he, he explains to cyanide that he's quilling earthquakes small earthquakes and she's like well we have nodes for that and and nodes are 
from what I understand, at different outposts in the stillness, there's these, I guess, stopping points where there's an origin who's constantly quilling the earthquakes. And they do that in the parts of town that have like most of the civilizations around it, just so that it's always still in those areas. And he points right. out that he, he's helping quill the earthquakes to give the nodes a break. And Cyanide's like, why? That's their job. Their job is to quill the earthquakes. And he mm. kind of looks at her and is like, you should be doing this. This right. is something you should do. You don't even know. And, and he emphasizes for sure. He's like, he's like, have you ever even been to a node station? And she was like, no. And he was like, well, every Raga needs to go to one for sure. And also right. it's worth noting that like nodes, like the people who administer at nodes are not highly ranked origins. These are origins that are usually either kicked out of the fulcrum or like they were too unstable. Like, it's, it's like right. it's not a high position. It's like considered sort of like runt work. That she right. was like, why the fuck me, a four-ringer, why would I ever right. do that? Right, exactly. So while they're walking or traveling to Ali- Aliyah, Aliyah, sure. Aliyah, sure. Um, th- a huge earthquake comes out of nowhere, which mm-hmm. is like shocking. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I personally think it might have been collected with Eason, but we will get into that later. Mm-hmm. But so a huge earthquake comes out of nowhere and Alabaster does something that we haven't seen before and even Cyanite hasn't seen before where he uses her, he doesn't ice her, he doesn't kill her, but almost uses her origin abilities to quell the earthquake. And Cyanite is not happy about this. Yeah. She's like, this is very, very invasive. Right. And Alabaster is once again unbothered by right. his <laughs> use of other people for whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. And so she's befuddled by this and and very confused. By the way, this whole time they are having sex um, unwittingly. and really shitty sex. Yeah, they're not very happy with each other or the fact that it's happening, but they are, in fact, (laughs) that's like an undertone as you read this book. That's like, it feels like a task. Um, That's how they kind of describe it. Right. And and it's interesting. So the the earthquake, my understanding was that it came from a node station nearby. Like that was the source of it. Right, right, right. Um, Which was coincidental because it was like they were already talking about, oh, we should probably go to a node station just in general. And then like this earthquake happens and they were like, okay, bitch, we definitely got to go to this fucking node station. And this is so this is where it gets very intense because they they go to the node station and they realize that it's um, a little run down or the people who are supposed to be taking care of it aren't necessarily doing that. Right. And they go inside and they find the origin who is in charge of this station mm-hmm. and he is tied to a chair and unconscious and tied to basically this contraptions and a machine and you realize as you're reading that the origin who are in the nodes aren't working there. They're more like tools. Yeah. They're strapped to a chair and basically all their cognitive functions are disabled. And we should have mentioned this with Shafa. He actually, when he gets Damaya, he puts a mark on the back of her head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually is, it seems to be this ability to wipe all the conscious thoughts of an origin and just have their earth-related powers be the only thing that is functioning. Right. Um, so it's like a veg- veg- vegetable, a vegetable yeah. state, a vegetarian state. Vegetative? Vegetative, thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> a vegetative state, but um, with their origin power still working. And they use that almost like a machine to control earthquakes. Exactly. And the thing, and also worth noting is that the person that was in, quote unquote, in charge, to, like strapped to this chair was like a child. Right. And right. maybe might have been 10 years old. Right. Like Very young. And it was one of those things where like, I think the boy was also naked, I want to say. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like, 
Yeah, unconscious. He there was like a bag that was an, attached to him for like I guess for if he ever needed to use the bathroom, it's just right. like there and replaced. And so this is something that um, Alabaster explained to Sinai because she was like horrified. She was like, right. "What the what the fuck am I looking at right now?" And basically, he was like, "Well, I mean, this is these are how nodes work. Like they you, they harness the power of these origins." And the thing is, like. He explained that it would be considered inhumane to keep them conscious for this because it's so deeply painful to have their energy like harnessed like this, mm. which is why they put them in this vegetative state. But the thing is, they're still technically conscious. And whenever something happens that's like really alarming, sometimes that like makes their powers go awry, even right. though they're unconscious. And what they explained was there was this, so they were looking around the room. And there was, like, a bunch of, um, you know, just, like, normal, like, officers who work there. And then there was, like, this random man that was there. And the right. thing is, all these bodies are, like, frozen. They're basically all, no, none of them are alive. Um, so it's implied that basically when the earthquake happened, like, you know, the boy harnessed the energy and froze everyone in place. And so they saw this random man, and they were like, well, and what's Sinai, he doing Sinai here? I was like, who's that? And then Alabaster explained that there's, like, this industry where sometimes people, people who have this fetish for, like, unconscious bodies will, like, like, molest and, like, assault the bodies of like these origins, usually children who are like in yep. these node positions and so basically what's implied is that like this man like was assaulting this boy and like though the boy was unconscious like it like caused stress it caused stress, stress. and that was what harnessed the earthquake right and Sinai this entire time was like how am i not vomiting like this is crazy and then once he said that shit she was like okay well and i and she like yeah. lost it and was like i am disgusted like how yeah. the fuck is this even an, a thing um yeah and and uh, Alabaster kind of points out he's he explains you should know this because we are only as good as our use. You think you're different from this person in this node? You're not. It's just a matter of where we they would put us all in these things, but we're he he notes flexible and versatile, and that's the reason they're allowed to walk around and use their powers differently or have some semblance of being like other people. Mm-hmm. And then he points out, and so Sinai at that moment is kind of like, oh, this is what he means by roga, like oh, a raga roga. Yeah, um, this is what he means when he says roga, like we're all just roga to them. Like we we need to remember that. And I thought that was a very powerful point. But they still had to go do their other missions. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they're pretty traumatized. Well, she is. He's unbothered as per usual. And then you kind of from this, you kind of realize that he he seems to be turning things off so that he will not be bothered, which uh, considering the intensity kind of makes sense. So they get to Aaliyah and the people in the town are quite rude. I remember there was a um, one of the citizens. What does he call her? He's like a. Um, she's like a deputy governor or something like that her name's Asayel but Alistair Alabaster throws some just hella shade at her he's like you're not even really that high ranked but like I guess you feel like a big person huh like I I guess you feel real like proud of yourself and she's like um um (laughs) she's very pressed by his statement and Alistair like Alabaster like quickly like disappears (laughs) just put this in context basically when they arrived to Aaliyah they were told that the governor of Aaliyah would like be the one that like greets them them and tells them what exactly to do so basically they were greeted instead by this deputy governor named Asael who was rude as fuck like just didn't offer them anything didn't shake their hands barely looked at them was like disgusted clearly and so that's when alabaster was like wow this is real interesting coming from someone who's like not that important like <laughs> right it's interesting um so yeah. then he requests that they start tomorrow he's like actually like we're not even gonna do this today we'll see you tomorrow and then they go back to where they're staying and then alabaster gets poisoned somehow i mean mm-hmm. obviously most likely well it could be because they're just origin in a city and people don't like them or it could be because a sale is 
Preston and her feelings. We're right. not sure. But Cyanide's like, great, Alabaster, great. So you want me to just do the job? Am I? Great, awesome. I'm the fourth ring and I came with you, but no, that's fine. I'll do the whole job myself. Right. So <laughs> she goes to the harbor the next day and actually this time the, the governor of the city is there to meet her. It wasn't um, it wasn't the governor. It was um someone who was like Oh, in charge. Hello close to the governor. Closer right. in rank to right. the governor. Right, right, right. And it like wasn't rude as fuck. <laughs> right. She was that person was like more like polite and not friendly, but you know, following the rules of civil society. So Cyanite does her reading of the object that's underground and she's like, Y'all need to do some research. I don't know what that is. It's not a coral problem. There's something underneath the coral that is right. blocking the harbor. And I don't know if you really want me to just assure that. I think maybe you want to do some research. And the the governor's like, We do not have the money to get research done. That's expensive. We barely have the money to hire y'all because the fulcrum is actually quite expensive and we cannot have you leave pay you for this and then come back she was saying that like we're gonna have to be paying the price for this for the what, next century or something like that yeah it's like ridiculous it's expensive so she so she was like you better move it now oh so cyanide's like all right everybody step back because i'm gonna ice, ice all of you if you're too close to me while i try to move this huge object from underwater so they're all like okay and so they all move back and she pulls it out of the ground um, out of the water, out of the harbor, and she realizes that it's actually one of the obelisk. And the obelisk... The, the, obel- the obelisk, you mean? Oh, the obelisk. Yeah. Okay. The obelisks are actually this object that's, like we said earlier, floating in the air above them. It's probably a ruin from an old civilization. They're not quite sure. But they are usually in the sky. They're not usually mm-hmm. on the ground. And they're looking at it, and it looks like whoever is in it, and it looks like it's a stone eater, which if you guys remember, Hoa is a stone eater. It's like implied. Implied. Like, I'm sorry. He probably, he, he probably I'm, I'm is. That motherfucker probably a stone eater. Uh. Um, and it looks like there's a stone eater in it. In it. Yeah. Like, and and he's dead. dead. Yeah. He's not alive. So. Yeah. And that's the end of part one of the book. That's as, as far as we've gotten in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, well, so I, I know that was hell a context because I know like, right. it's hard to kind of like explain this in a way that's concise because like there's just so many details right well actually let's take a quick break and then when we come back we'll just go into our thoughts and feelings and kind of how we thought about the book yeah And we're back. Yes. So, okay. So, obviously, that was a lot. Thank you so much for all listening because it's a hell of a plot to get through. So, feelings and thoughts on this book in general. I'm literally bursting at the seams because I wanted to talk about this shit forever. Real quick, I guess just to start on a sort of lighter note because there's like hella shit that I want to talk about. I feel like the names in this book are just bananas like right. i'm like i'm just i'm like girl maxis like it was literally spelled m-a-x-i-x-e i was like this is it <laughs> right like, the names are just like on some truly fantasy shit like i'm right. just like which i did like i liked that it wasn't just strictly western names it mm-hmm. wasn't like john and jacob and i think she really takes the effort to make names that are non-western which in a world where fantasy is usually equated with western i thought was very cool it did make it hard for us to pronounce things oh, right yeah. over here <laughs> Ethan, Asun, 
you know, cyanide, who knows, Roga, Raga. Right. <laughs> um, so that was a little bit difficult, but I think it's a good practice. And it's, I think it's one of those things, you know how when you're reading a book and then you go to talk with your friend and you pronounce it one way and your friend's like, girl, that's not, what about your hooked on phonics? That's right. not phonetically correct. That happens a lot, I think, with the names. Yeah, even Orogene. I was like, is it Orogene? Like, right. what, is, what is happening? And honestly, we still don't know. So then the comments, y'all are like, that's not how you say that. I mean, we will listen. That's fine. We might not change it, but we'll we will con- we will continue to be who we are. But um, <laughs> yeah. So that was really interesting. I thought also it was interesting too because in the book they like. So okay, so it's kind of confusing because like they swear in like normal ways, like they'll right. say like you know fuck and whatever, whatever. But then they also have words that are like specifically stillness cuss words, like, right? Especially the word rust. Like cyanite says it a lot. Like she'll be like, "Fucking rust," or like, "What the rust?" Or this yeah. is rusting. Blah blah blah. And it's just kind of like, what? I'm like, how are you saying fuck and rust? Like, I'm right. confused. Like, what does this mean? <laughs> and I think maybe it's because uh, if you guys have ever seen Battlestar Galactica, they say frack instead of fuck. So they're like, ah, oh, frack when they like mess something up. And it's pretty internally consistent. They do it through the whole show. The word fuck is never used. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what I was expecting when I first, and they say that about the fulcrum, the same way you'd be like, oh, thank God. They'd be like, oh, thank the fulcrum or like, what on earth? Like, what the fulcrum? You know, like they, <laughs> they do that too. And I was like, okay, so they're going to then all regular curse words are probably gone but no there they are just in the sentences as well and i was like did did the editor forget to and you're like obviously not (laughs) right so maybe there's something deeper there and we just don't know yet maybe so going into this book just in general like Mm. this is like a whole like analysis i did not anticipate it being that serious serious but mm. like shit went from zero to a hundred within pages like the first page she's like uche's dead yeah well i guess yeah. actually technically she did say this is the last time that the world ends or something like that so i right. probably should have known that like it was gonna be kind of severe but i was like god damn what? like i was like this whole this three-year-old child was like killed by his own father like right. this is bananas like what and it was also interesting too because like the town like wasn't pressed like no one was like oh my god this is no awful. like people were just like if anything, people were looking at Eason kind of crazy. Like, yeah. oh, like, so is she an origin? Like, what's up? And I'm like, a whole, an entire child died. And right. And press on if she's origin or not. Like, are y'all serious? Yeah, it, it was very intense. And just going off of that, then when Damaya comes into the story with Shafa, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the recap, that becomes very creepy very quickly. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, Easton's having a hard life. That's she's, you know, she's probably the the hard life character and the other characters, you know, Demaya's probably she's a kid, there's a mm. chance for her. Maybe she's the hope of the story. And then this man breaks her hand. And I was like, this is it. And then with Crack and Jasper and Maxis, oh boy, I was like, this is not getting any lighter. Yeah, it just it's just just going down. And it's just one of those things where I think just more like I think the origins obviously there are a lot of parallels that could be made with you know, race. around with race and things mm. like that. But I feel like I don't I I still don't quite understand why they're treated like this. Like it's just one of those things where it's like you all are invaluable to the planet. Like you literally need origins to be here in order to have there be any semblance of peace and at the same time like people treat them like garbage. Even the ones who live in Yemenis. Like people right. don't, still don't really regard them. It's like you need them but you like hate them at the same time which i don't think is an accident right and that the author said set it up like this because i mean i think the same is true in in real life as well right i was gonna say i actually think what's so brilliant about this novel and why i really love having read it is that nk jemison does this 
a lot of people complain about the lack of race in novels and how they're just not there. And she has race in the novel, but actually the origin has nothing to do with the person's race. You can be an origin of any type. But what's so interesting is having an author POC write fantasy is that they write racism into the thread of the fantasy. Right. Because racism, as much as we don't like to think about it, is actually the human experience. And so to write, have a POC who has experienced racism write about racism into a fantasy you sort of start to see that it allows a clarity about the depth of racism in our society that is more true and more accurate because it is true that the origin are so necessary for society but they also are hated and i think in a lot of ways that is how racism works i mean if you think about slavery there's such a Mm -hmm. disgust and the hatred for the african-americans who were working and essentially allowing society to continue and function in any capable way. So I think that metaphor is so strongly and and well done. And just the idea, too, that anyone could be of that race, could be an origin, Mm. is also showing the fluidity of race, the fact that genetics is pretty much not what we socially construct it to be. So I thought that it was kind of a brilliant type of metaphor, not one that hasn't been made before, I don't think, mm-hmm. but it's to see it in the fantasy realm. I, I was like, this is why we need more writers like this to create storylines like this. Right. And it's one of those things where, I mean, even the way Alabaster uses the word Raga, I think is really interesting right. and deliberate because it's like, it's funny because Zainai is annoyed that he uses it. But she's not offended. Right. It's one of, She understands what it means. She knows what it is. And it's. I think for her, it's uncomfortable to put herself in the same camp. Right as what a raga is considered. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, I have four rings, I've gone through the ranks, I've done Mm -hmm. everything that I need to do to be respectable, to be sort of legible in this society. Like, I should not be considered this thing because, like, sure, I'm origin, but I'm, like, I'm better than that in a lot of ways. And so I think Alabaster, who is, like, the highest ranked, has done literally everything Sina has done and more. To have him use a term like that, his usage of the word is kind of kind of impactful in that way right and actually we have our quotes later in the episode but i think it actually makes sense to do mine now and mm-hmm. we'll just kind of just go with that do mine later yeah i really actually like kind of talking on that topic there was a part in the book that mentioned that y'all are gonna hear actual page flipping on the mic because we used real books because apparently we are from the 20th century who knows <laughs> but the quote is really good it basically says it's at the end of chapter four and and just to put it in context every chapter ends with like a quote from stone lore so if y'all remember stone lore is like that group of texts that basically explains what to do in a fifth season period and so this is the yeah the the text from the end of the fourth chapter so um the quote goes tell them that they can be great someday like us tell them they belong among us no matter how we treat them tell them that they must earn the respect which everyone else receives by default tell them that there is a standard for acceptance that standard is simply perfection Kill those who scoff at these contradictions and tell the rest that the dead deserve annihilation for their weakness and doubt. Then they'll break themselves, trying for what they'll never achieve. And I thought that was a great quote because as an African-American woman who has tried respectability politics in her past, in her younger, more naive days, I would say, Mm -hmm. I think there is that tension and I think there is that stress and that almost attempt to achieve something that is always consistently out of your grasp. And I feel like she put it so beautifully and succinctly and it just impressed me. Yeah. When we were looking at quotes, I also saw that shit and I was like, oh, Akko, girl, that's me. And you you were like, oh, I actually also chose that. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll pick another one. 
<laughs> but yeah, it's just, I, I think that's exactly what it is. You know, it's like at the end of the day, no one from the fulcrum is ever going to not be origin. They're right. always going to be seen. Like once you as have other. that black uniform that belongs to the fulcrum, you can have 10 rings and people still look at you crazy. And they right. like live in like, who gives a fuck stillness, but like mm-hmm. they still think they're better than you. And, and then just, like even the fact that Alabaster is a 10th ring and they're still making him just breed children without his consent. Yeah. So And that's even kind of weird too because it's like they're breeding more orogenes because they need them. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because they were even having a conversation, um, Sina and Alabaster, like they were talking about what their future child, who they might be. And they were saying like, oh, well, they're orogene. They'll probably, you know, go through the ranks, get the rings, blah, blah, blah. But if they're not, they'll become a guardian. And so that was really interesting because I was like, oh, so I guess a lot of the guardians are still children born of by orogenes. Which is interesting because it's like especially insidious to be born like you were like your parents are origin but your mission in life is to like control them, them and control them yeah it's like this betrayal against your own sort of lineage even though technically you're not of that lineage it's still it's i don't know it's it is it's still your family yeah. yeah and i think that does actually metaphorically go with the history of america as well yeah so it's just i don't know i think it's just really there's just so many layers to yeah. this shit. It's just, it's just like wild. I mean, even the part with the node and like the child, like it's just one of those things where it's like, this is like, this hatred is so deeply seated. It's, it just does not seem sustainable. Like mm. to have a society that like deeply hates and yet like heavily relies on this community and like treat them like this. I'm like, this, this shit is about to break right. at any moment. Like this is actually just ridiculous. And it also makes you wonder if the old societies were like this, mm. if this has been how it's always been, or if this has been a new addition. And I think that's such an interesting parallel with the real world too, because we see race and racism as it stands now as, as sort of always and forever and almost innate. But there's been societies before that haven't worked this way. And what does that mean? You know, what does that fluidity of civilization mean? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I I think it's just, I I mean, honestly, it's just, it's just unfortunate. Like, I'm just like, why do people with this stillness have to suck? Like this is just necessary. Like, you know, just like be better. Like what the actual fuck. But yeah. And also just one more thing I wanted to say before, because I think, I think at this point we could probably jump into our predictions, but right. One thing that I kind of want to post to you, because it was kind of left unclear, Hmm. right when they went to the node section, right? Like when Cyanite was looking at the child, she was saying, she's like, oh my God, this child looks just like Alabaster, like looks just, you know, has a lot of his shared features, all of that. And then basically afterwards when they were, they, you know, they left the node station, they were camping for the night. Alabaster went on this whole thing about how he has like 12 children, how he doesn't even know most of them because like he is kind of like used in this like reproductive way where he like doesn't really have a relationship with these children anymore. And then they start to talk about, you know, their own potential child because Sinai is implied to be pregnant. And so it becomes this thing of like, was that his own child in the right. station? Like, is Which that is terrifying. what happened? Cause if that was, cause after that, like Alabaster was like on like 10, like he was just like, mad cynical and like Mm -hmm. to the point where Sinai was getting like he was just like he wasn't really making sense anymore like he was talking and it was like he was clearly going through something deep but like wasn't really articulating express it and so she was like uncomfortable she was like I actually might have to kill this motherfucker because like I'm nervous like he's like like if you if you wiling a little bit are a 10th if you're a 10th ringer wiling hysterical like the world's gonna end like, 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 we're boxes so like basically she's like oh young like should we like even do this right now so like she was like i actually might have to kill this bitch um but she didn't so right 
So it's really interesting because twice in the book, actually, by Eason and by Alabaster, which makes me kind of wonder if they knew each other in the past, which I'll get to that in the prediction section. They both say children are the unraveling of us. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of emphasis on on children and their relationship to adults in the story. Demaya, obviously, in the in and of herself is a child. Uche is sort of the launching point for Eason's story. And then obviously the children in the nodes. So that's a great point. And the child that they're having together, Sinai and Alabaster. I think there is an underlying theme of children here. And I'm interested to see how that plays out in part two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this shit is just, it it's interesting. Is bananas. Yes. Um, but yeah, but I guess just real quick. So we'll jump into the yeah. predictions Speaking and I'll just give my quote two. real quick. Yeah. So speaking of part two, so in terms of what I think will happen next. So obviously, you know, the stories are all very independent of one another, but I do think that they will come together at like some climactic moment. I think Eason will eventually find Jija and mark his shit. Like she will like just go in on that ass. I think Sinai, because Sinai is at a point where she was like, queen respectability politics and now she's like yo low-key fuck the fulcrum like she's like honestly it's like in a lot of her expositions she's like nothing matters like i just she saw the note she was mm-hmm. like eh, this is awful so i think cyanide's gonna go back to the fulcrum and just like do some highly like destructive destructive shit i think she's gonna try to really overturn the order there i think demaya is gonna be like caught up in that because she attends the fulcrum all in all i do think there's gonna be an uprising i also think that with the previous section with the obelisk i think the obelisk are just you know obviously a remnant of a free civilization but i think though it's considered common that like the people who don't who didn't survive previous seasons like they're weak they died blah blah blah. i think there is going to be a resurgence of a previous civilization and like that's going to show up and it's going to be this whole like battle royale like lip sync for your life like who the fuck is going to last versus the stillness in like <laughs> this like new society we'll see Okay, interesting. Yes. That's so, okay. So my, I differ from you a little bit. I do think all the stories are going to come together. Definitely. There's no way you put three characters in a book. I just have them all go their separate ways (laughs) for the rest of the novel. But I do think, I actually, on the Jija point, I actually think Eason's going to run into Jija and find out it did not go down the way she had thought. I don't think, Maybe this is the optimist to me, but I don't think Jija killed his son. I think maybe something happened. Maybe someone else came because their daughter ostensibly is also a origin. So maybe he came back and Uche was dead too. And he was like, let me, okay, my son is dead. Let me get the girl. We got to go now. Peace. Eason is capable. She'll come find us. And then I can explain if she doesn't ice me <laughs> what happened. So I think that maybe we'll find that reveal. I do think that Cyanite will mess things up in the fulcrum. I think, though, she's very strategic. So I think hers will be something much more sinister. And I'm very ready for that. Mm-hmm. Although she's kind of a hothead. You're right. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think she will, something will happen and she'll be like, no, let me work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I think that, yes, I think the dead people in the obelisk. The ob- obelisk, mm. the obelisk, um, do have a very obviously important meaning, and Hoa as a stone eater with this power, kind of reawakening, is going to have an effect. But more than that, I think what we're going to learn is that the people who live now in the stillness have taken for granted that their world works this way because of some old civilization, and I think they're going to learn that they are able to sustain themselves based on some civilization in the past that they're not even thinking about and have taken for granted Mm. so we'll see where that goes that's real damn well yes well i know that this episode is long as fuck but real quick before we wrap up i figured i would read my quote really quickly it's not like some huge like 
race-related commentary, but, you know, just, like, something it's I thought was good. really, it's still really interesting. So, basically, so this happened when Sinai and Alabaster initially go out on their mission. They're, like, camping one night, whatever, whatever. And mind you, Sinai does not fuck with Alabaster day one. She is like, this bitch sucks, like, whatever. And so, basically, at one point, they're near the fire or whatever, and Alabaster asks her, Sinai, like, why do you hate me? And so... The book goes on to say, Sinai sighs and says, I just do. He rolls onto his back, looking up at the sky, and she thinks that's the end of the conversation until he says, I think you hate me because I'm someone you can hate. I'm here, I'm handy, but what you really hate is the world. Mm. And so this was actually, so I thought this was really interesting because this is pre-Node, pre-Sinai coming to this realization of like who she actually is and how right. this illness actually sees her. And I think that, I don't know, I think that that's a, just a really resonant truth for a lot of us. I right. think that for a lot of us, when we live in circumstances where we can't necessarily express our disdain for our circumstances, we tend to lash out on the people who are closest to us, or at least the people that we feel that we have the capacity or the permission to lash out on. Because the yeah. thing is, Alabaster, in a lot of ways, though he is of a tin rings, he is kind of an easy target. Like, he's yeah. someone who... He's kind of like, kind of iconoclast in a lot of ways, like very right. anti, like this bullshit structure of the fulcrum. It's like, yo, fuck this shit, I'm out. And so basically, like, if she's like being herself to him, then like she can, like, it's, it, it, it doesn't seem as. It doesn't have consequences. As, right. It doesn't seem as deep. And it's interesting, too, because like at the very beginning, she did try to like, you know, have decorum and be really formal and stuff like that. And Alabaster was like, why? Ew, stop. <laughs> like, I'm like, like, ugh, gross. It was like, I hate this. Like, so I think like in a lot of ways, because he encourages her to actually be herself, it unlocks a lot of rage within her. Because right. she realizes, yeah, though she's on this trajectory, yeah, she's almost at five rings, blah, 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 blah. She's like low-key pissed. Right. And it's like, yo, these bitches just suck. And then she sees the note and she's like, these hoes especially suck. Like, it's I'm especially out. Especially bad. Yeah, so I'm really just ready for Sinai to just like blow up the world and like Ethan to like be there and just like they like fuse together into like, this <laughs> goddess and it's like amazing. Um, So that's like kind of, like, that's my third part prediction. It becomes Steven Universe. <laughs> right, like literally, I, oh my God, can you tell I watch Steven Universe? Um, But anyway, <laughs> also like, my God, like, can it just fast forward to fall so we could like see what happens in season six but let me not get distracted anyway um so on that final note (laughs) (laughs) um of course guys thank you for listening to our first episode we're really excited this was really yes. fun for us yes, yes, yes. by the time you hear this there'll probably be another episode out yeah, we'll um, release both of them at, the same, at time. the same time right so you guys will have plenty to listen to yeah, yes. um, until then feel free to get in touch with us we have our email these color pages <laughs> at gmail.com you could also go to our website which is the same name and you can also follow us on twitter at the colored pages yes yes so check us out and especially check us out on these color because we just were release our website and it's like mad cute or whatever right and we tried like information on especially if you want to learn more about what books we're going to be reading next about and you want us. to get in touch with us right want to learn more about us see our flaky ass podcast art you know just check us out like right. hit us up but yeah so Akko and i will be back soon but until then stay, stay colorful, colorful.